Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, welcome to California Haunts Radio. It's a wonderful Thursday evening, 75 today in mid-October, but I know that's going to change soon. It gets cold here, boy. Too cold to snow in a lot of cases. Anyway, welcome to the show today. This is our last day for our Halloween series of shows. Monday, we had Ancient Ghosts. Yesterday, or um, Tuesday, rather, we had Ancient Ghosts of Hawaii, and they're still there they're, you know, from, from the ancestors. It was a great show. It's going to be hard following that up, but I'm going to try a little bit tonight. Um, my name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour. And you can find us at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And you can find my paranormal team at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.org. It's a mouthful of the California haunts, right? Anyway, my team is 35 strong up and down the state of California, into Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. I was in Washington, Oregon, Nevada, and Hawaii. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Sorry, Becca. Anyway, uh, I want to welcome you guys. It's going to be a good show tonight, and uh, I'm going to try and move through this stuff. Hopefully, it all works. My computer's been messing up, so I mean, you know, missing photos and things like that. I don't know why, but maybe maybe something doesn't want us to like put the show on. But I'm glad to be here, and hopefully, we can get through this. And I think it'll be entertaining. Some of these places you can actually, you know, you can visit. A couple of them are kind of iffy about that, but I think with prodding, you might be able to get in there to, to see. It's not anything you're going to just be able to walk into and do. It's something that you're going to have to, you know, ask for, you know, always ask permission anyway. But a couple of these places, yeah, you're going to have to do a little tap dance to be able to, to get in, I think. But at least, you know, there, there, there are places that you can even drive by and see or stop in and see if somebody's in there to ask them about their ghost, because usually, when a place is active like that, they're pretty open about talking about what's going on. Anyway, let me get my screen share up here for you. And we are going to start this. I just want to introduce our team. Our team has been around for almost 18 years. We've done probably a good amount of close to 200 investigations. Uh, a lot of residentials, uh, a lot of commercial jobs. and. Uh, we started out doing the commercial stuff because we wanted to learn how to do stuff. And that's one thing that teams nowadays don't do. They just jump into doing residentials. And, and unless you have practice working with your equipment and stuff, you're really doing a disservice because as we were progressing, learning how to use our equipment, we also learned how we were going to deal with questioning clients and doing stuff like that. So we were able in those first four years that we did these, these kind of investigations to put together a really complete package for our team and get and recruit and recruit the people that we needed to do residentials. You know, we have former police officers on staff. We've got psychologists on staff. We've got, you know, construction people on staff to check stuff, you know, the, the construction part of it, you know, people like that, but nothing but professionals on staff. We have a former police officers negotiator on staff. So we got people like that. And I think that's really important if you're going to go out and do residentials. Anyway, getting on with what we're doing here, this, um, the first place that we're going to show, the Wedgwood Sequoia, we've been out several times. Uh, we actually went out with Channel 10 at one point. 
And uh, it's been an interesting place. There's activity there, the employees that work there. I don't know what the ones now, but the ones up to that point before it became, before it became Wedgwood Sequoia, they used to tell stories about the stuff that, that they would see and experience in the building. So if you get a chance to get in there, even for a wedding, it's a treat. So let's, uh, let's go, let's hit that. Those of Northern California, this is part of a bigger presentation that I made over the weekend. Um, I did this Saturday, it was a two hour presentation. This, you know, we're trying to keep this within an hour or so for the show, but maybe we'll go longer, we'll see. Again, here's the Wedgwood Sequoia. The B. Bennett House was built in 1853 by Colonel Frederick B. In 1859, it was purchased by Judge Marcus P. Bennett, who expanded it to 16 rooms. In 1958, it was purchased by the Elks, and then it was sold again in 2001. It, was now owned, it is now owned by Wedgwood Weddings. This is why I'm telling you, it might be, I haven't talked to these people, to anybody since Wedgwood bought the place, so I don't know what their feelings are about their ghosts. But you know, if I was running a business that that was trying to be really cool with weddings, I think one of the last things I want is for people to think it's haunted or a bunch of ghost hunters running around. But that's just me, so I don't know for sure. You still may be able to maybe take a tour of it or walk around or maybe even do a small investigation. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked to them, so don't hold me to it. Tragedies of the building: Bennett's son Marcus reportedly fell down the stairs and was killed when the boy was three. A nanny felt so guilty over the death that she reportedly hung herself upstairs. Reports from employees say that water faucets turn on by themselves. A cold feeling is felt on the stairway. Reports of apparitions in the attic. Reports of the reflection of a woman and boy in the women's bathroom mirror. Um, the apparition of a woman in period clothing seen in the kitchen. A man and woman seen sitting in a swing on the front porch where there's no swing. Um, lights turning on and, on, by the, on and off by themselves. A mist has been seen on the upper part of the stairway that seemed to move at human speed. And the apparition of an older man has been seen in what used to be a dining room, in, in the old dining room of the building. Uh, like I said, we've been there three or four times. So these are from those investigations put together. So um, initially, because I'm a photographer, I used to just take photos when I was working with another team. So five camera batteries died in the hallway near the women's bathroom. The women's bathroom is right here, okay? Um, I could never get a clear picture of that area. Now, Laura, up in that Empire Ballroom, she was setting up equipment on the stage so that we could shoot back to the ballroom as she was hearing footsteps walk on the stage and coming up on her while she was doing it. Um, I have been in there myself. I used to work for the local paper there, so I used to get access to this place, not constantly, but on a good amount. And that whole floor in there is wood. So I would go in there just to sit because it was quiet to get away from you know, all the action in the kitchen and stuff. And you would hear footsteps easily come, you know, all the time in there. I don't know if they're dancing or they're walking or what they're doing, but you hear footsteps all the time in this ballroom. When I attended a prelim there, that was the first investigation that I ever attended in this place. It was while sitting at the bar that I noticed the lights were flickering as we were asking questions of, of, of the manager and the employees. And then when we stopped after an hour, the lights stopped. In fact, I left something in there. So I had to go back in after everybody had left and just my, the manager and I were there. And when I walked in, there were no flickering lights. When I asked him about the electricity, he said that they had just had an electrician in the building that had redone the wiring. So there was no reason for these lights to be flickering, but they did flicker. 
Uh, we again, I went back at a later time. This is a Sunday morning when we went with Channel 10, I believe. Um, Laura's conducting an EVP session in the upstairs dining room area. That day, employees were preparing for a wedding, so it was noisy and we couldn't quite get a clear session. Like I said, the computer's wonky, so bear with me. It'll jump pages on me. There we go. Just like it just did. Anyway, we go in one evening and uh, it was before they closed, so we were just kind of sitting around the lounge. Karen had seen the apparition of a woman on the stairwell, and so we were just kind of hanging out, and she started to channel what she said was Mrs. B. I kind of have it on tape where she's, I have an interview with, with, with Mrs. B, and Mrs. B says she hangs out at the house, and not only does she hang out at the house, she just likes to sit around in corners and stuff and watch people as, as, as they go around. That's her thing. It's her thing in the afterlife is to just watch people, and that's cool. Real people watch, right? Um, Karen had also seen children in the building, that is which I which I didn't see, of course, you know. So yeah. So anyway, um they were practicing dancing and doing ballroom dancing in the ballroom. And during the session, I guess the lights went out once or twice. And they were trying to figure out who did it. They came out after after class was over and they told us about it kind of laughingly. Like, hey, you know, the lights went out once you guys got here. Ha ha ha. Well, I thought it'd be great to do an EVP and ask who turned off the lights. And this is what came up on the EVP. Hello. See, I told you. My computer's wonky. Okay, let me go back. God dang it. Okay. Turn sure the lights on and off in the ballroom. Do you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, if I find out, I like to ask. If you can hear that, I'm going to play it one more time if the computer doesn't have a fit. Turn sure the lights on and off in the ballroom. Do you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, if I find out, I like to ask. So if you can hear that, the voice is Kevin. So they did give us an answer as to who turned the lights off. I'll do it one more time. Turn the lights on and off in the ballroom. Do you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, if I find out, I like to So yeah, Kevin. In this room during the prelim, the sensitive said she saw children near the lounge. Karen also saw, on our visit, also saw the children in, in this lounge area. We could, all, we could not scientifically verify the presence of any spirit children. After conducting EVP session, Karen told us of meeting a woman on the staircase. As our investigation time was ending, we headed to the, the women's bathroom. Maybe this woman on the staircase was the woman who hung herself. I don't know. That, that's a possibility. But we did. she did channel Mrs. B. I have it on, on audio. You know, it's kind of interesting when that happens. So we go to the bathroom. And uh, there's a story about that, about one of the other investigations. An investigator named Janelle had gone to the bathroom to crimp in the mirror. And if you remember the reports from before about seeing the woman and the kid in the mirror, usually it's when a, when a female is in there doing makeup and their hair and everything. And so Janelle goes in there for whatever she was doing. I'm not saying she was primping, but she was doing something. And I was by the door and I see her come out and her eyes are wide like saucers. And she says, I, 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 I saw the woman. And I said, what woman did you see? She says, I saw the woman in the mirror. So she saw her. So, I mean, there's another verification what the employees are saying. So that was very, that was interesting. It's a pity she didn't have a camera. Don't, we, they didn't have a camera in the room at the time, and, you know, no recorder or any of that. But she says she saw the woman in the mirror clearly, and I believe her. I, I know this investigator. She's very meticulous with the way she does things. I hold her in very high regard. So if she says she saw a woman in the mirror, she saw a woman in the mirror. So we go in there, and this is a, this is a different investigation. We go in there with Channel 10, and Karen's sitting on the floor. I've got my camera. I've also got a FLIR thermal imagery with me. 
And uh, we made sure to ask them to not have any um, heat or air conditioning on in the building. Okay. So this is like probably 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning that we go in there. And um, so Karen sits down on the floor with the dowsing rods and she starts channeling. Well, she starts talking to a man. And as she's talking to him, we call this EVP. <laughs> Come on. Here we go. Ah, oh, you dirty. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll try and get it back without losing it. Okay. okay. I don't know if you can hear that clearly. What it's saying with headphones, because what I do is when I get these EVPs, I don't process them on my own. I send them to other people on my team via email. So I might send this to six members of my team to see what they hear. And if we can verify what it says, then it goes out as evidence as far as, you know, as, far as this goes. That's why it's here. This is a gentleman who's saying, oh, I can't breathe. What we did was when we walked out of the room, we asked the manager, uh, you know, we got this, or later on, not when we walked out of the room, I'm just saying when we, you know, later on after I did the evidence and sat down with, with the Sequoia, I asked the manager what that means. You know, why, why would we get this weird EVP about somebody that can't breathe? He told us that that bathroom at one time was not attached to the building. That was an add-on. So that was part of the yard. And there was a tree out there and there was a story about a man that had committed a crime and they, and they strung him up on this tree. So maybe this is the gentleman we picked up telling us that he can't breathe, okay? The other thing that happened was that we, we did have the meter going off. You know, when we placed it near the mirror, it reacted twice during the session. So that's when she was trying to channel the woman in the bathroom. But, before I lean over and switch photos, while Karen was sitting there, I had the overwhelming compulsion to use the thermal imaging camera. And what I picked up is very interesting. It's right above Karen's head, right about here. And uh, I'll show you what I picked up. Now there's about 20 of these photos. I didn't put them all in here because, you know, for space purposes, because this thing is a, it's a long presentation. But as you can see, this is the first photo I took. You can see there's some kind of heat source up above Karen's head, all right? As I'm taking the pictures in sequence, the heat source starts to disappear. But the rest of the sequence, the heat source is, returns and it's, it's coming back in this sequence, this exact sequence. So it looked like something was trying to manifest over the top of Karen's head. And again, the, the heater and the fans and the air conditioning weren't on that day. So it looks like something was trying to manifest over her head. Now, another interesting thing that happened was that she finally got through to talking to a woman in the bathroom. And as we were talking to this woman, I asked her during the session if she was buried, because there's a cemetery across the way from the Sequoia. I asked her if she was buried in the cemetery. Crossed, crossed, yes. And I asked her, I thought, well, let's do something fun because we've been in here all day struggling, trying to get EVPs and people running around. Um, are you, would you be able to show us your grave if we went over there? And the rods crossed, yes. So we put our equipment away, got a, you know, went over there. 
Um, it's, this, this is filmed on video. If I find it, I'll probably add it to this presentation at some point, but I don't have it anymore. I have a computer that died and who knows. Somewhere on a backup hard drive. Um, but uh, I took the dowsing rods, get out of the car, and I asked the woman if she's still with us. The rods crossed yes. And then there's video of her leading me through the cemetery with the dowsing rods to a grave with this woman's name on it. We make note of the name, go back to Sequoia, talk to the manager, and find out that this woman had worked for the B family way back in, you know, in, in, in the early 1900s, 1800s, 1900s. So we actually got we actually got an employee of the bees that was buried over the cemetery. So that was kind of cool, right? You never know what you're going to get on these things. Next stop, Placerville. The season's been in breakfast. The Otis Plumato House was built around 1859 on property that once held a gold stamp mill. Abraham Vetter is the first known owner of the property. Vetter sold the home in 1862 to Henry Aulis for $100. Mr. Aulis, who at one time employed, get this, John Wheelbarrow Johnny Studebaker before he, began, before he began making wagons and later automobiles. He also, who also purchased the Heinz Hat Blacksmith shop. Mr. Studebaker ended up making wheelbarrows as well. So every year at the, at the we'll say Yellow County Fair, every year at the Yellow Road County Fair, they have Studebaker wheelbarrow races. But this is the Studebaker guy that ended up making the cars. So he owned that house. Or he, or he, you know, you know, he worked for this guy that owned the house. In 1874, Henry Otis sold the home to, to the Plumato family for $600 in gold. And it remained in that family for 75 years. Francis Plumato, a native of Canada, later from Missouri, came to Placerville in 1852. The magnolia trees still growing along one side of the property were planted by Mrs. Plumato. Okay, before the days of indoor plumbing, a two-seater outhouse sat across the creek at the back of the property. The foundation of the house is built on old tombstones that had mistakes and could not be used for their original purpose. The cottage, one of two extra buildings on the grounds, was originally a chicken coop and was later rebuilt as a home for a seamstress known to everyone as Miss Joe. Before Bedford Avenue was paved, it was lined with poplars and was lower than the current street level. What is now the main floor of the house was the parlor, dining room, and kitchen. It was once the second floor of two bedrooms. Later, owners replaced the marble fireplace in the parlor with one built of stones that they handpicked in travels to various places. The old house is located at, take a note of this, 2934 Bedford Avenue on a beautifully landscaped three-quarter acre lot, just one block from Placerfield's historic main street. The house is built of brick and plasterite stone. The lower story of the brick house is built below ground level because of the extensive mining and sluicing activity that took place there, having washed all the soil away, right? The walls are 18 inches thick on the lower section and made of handmade bricks produced in Placerville. According to psychics that had been in the building, former owners, residents, Catherine, Martha, Margaret, and Buck still roam the grounds and buildings. Buck was one of the owners, but he wasn't called Buck. His name was Jim Lewis, and he's buried in the cemetery already across from the Wedgwood Sequoia. His name was Buck because he skinned deer. Buck was also a man who liked his drink. So he would go drinking, and he would come back drunk, and the girls would would make him stay in the chicken coop until he was sober. That's just a piece of trivia. After the building was purchased by the current owner, 
who lived out of town. The owner's mother, who lives nearby, would be forcing an overhead fan on while no one was inside. The electrician could find no reason for it to be on, so, she, so the owner had him disconnected. Soon after, her mother drove by again and saw that the electric fireplace was on. She asked the electrician to replace the thermostat, and he assured her it wouldn't turn on again, so she held off getting another thermostat. But it did happen again. The owner then replaced the thermostat. On another occasion, a utility worker went out to the property to work on the meter and had trouble finding it. He claimed that something seemed to go right through him and it shook him so much that he left the property. Could this have been Buck? And by the way, he refused to return to the property. He was not going back there at all, okay? Just recently, a guest was staying, and just recently, this last week actually, a guest was staying in one of the cottages and awoke to find a man standing right above her staring down at her. Creepy. So you got two cottages, you got the magnolia and you've got the peach, and they've all got period um, stuff in there, like the beds. The beds are tall, so if you're like me and you're five, you're like five, 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 six, it's hard to get up on the beds because they're, because they're built up, the old style beds, and they've got big, you know, they've got big feather pillows, feather, you know, feather bedding. It's 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 just gorgeous when you go in there, just old style. She's got a totally decorating period stuff. Setting up a DVR is not going to work here because it's so spread out. Unless you have very long cables or maybe a wireless system, you're better off just putting camcorders tri on tripods inside the cottages, which is what we did. We split up into two teams of three and spent about an hour in each building and an hour outside in, in, in what they call the stump area. And the Peach Cottage investigators experienced coal spots and EMF meter spikes that could not be explained. And the Moulin Rouge room, fully charged batteries kept running out of energy. Team members used about 30 batteries in a 15-minute time span. And again, we felt a lot of cold spots when we were in there, things like that. There were meter spikes we couldn't explain. So the bathroom is an interesting place. The downstairs bathroom um, has a curio cabinet in it with stuff like this. You see the bullets? You see the pottery? Well, remember when I described the house initially, when I was reading the description of the house, they talked about a stream or a creek that was running behind, behind the property. Well, on the other side of that creek is like a berm that was built to divide this property from the other property. And so when it rains, you know how like, like dirt will come down. And when the dirt comes down, stuff gets exposed and this stuff gets exposed. Some of these bullets date back to the Civil War area area the civil warrior and further back you know so all this stuff she's got native american stuff that she's found on the property obviously the guns aren't are just for decoration but a lot of this stuff is all the, the majority of what's in there this and this curio cabinet in this downstairs bathroom is what she found after rain after heavy rains okay you can only access this bathroom by a door on the outside of the house there's no access from inside the owner has a small museum located here cabinet on one wall of the facility. And this cabinet artifacts the owner found after heavy rains in the creek, right? We just said that. So it's very interesting and she's got, she's got a plethora of stuff in, in, in this thing. The problem is, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because when we were there, I got left alone in the bathroom. I got an EVP, a real, this EVP that I'm trying, still trying to figure out what the meaning really is. And then we also got EVP of somebody laughing at us, and I'm going to play those right now. Oh, here we go again. Okay, here we go. Ah, uh, didn't play. 
So yeah, listen again, I'll shut up this time. So if you listen, it says Waterloo. I know it's hard with this. You might be able to hear it. You might try headphones when you listen back on this. See, Waterloo. I don't know where that came from, how it came from, but that's what it says. So your guess is as good as mine. So, okay, go to the next one. Well, then. You can hear something laughing at us. That's not one of my investigators. Well, then. That is not one of my investigators laughing at us. Let me do it again. Oh, come on. Well, then. Yeah, so you can hear one of my investigators. <sighs> I gotta buy a better computer, guys. Okay. And we lost the photo. Well, I just asked you to persuade me to dance. Mm -hmm. Is that why you're afraid? I promise you not the ones that we're are going to do anything to you. We're here to help you. Honest. Yes. Okay. You don't have to be afraid. Do you, okay, thank you. Do you like to play tricks on people? Okay. I'll do that one again. And that's a totally different voice from the other one. Do you, okay, thank you. Do you like to play tricks on people? Okay. So I think that one's pretty clear. So yeah, so then uh, we got done with that. We moved on to the stump area. I don't know who this was, but... You know. Also, there's a, there's, a, there's a security light out in that yard, and it's always on. And while we were doing our session in the stump area, the light turned off several times on us. And she said, she, the owner told us that it had never done that before. So, you know, were we causing paranormal activity? I don't know, but it, it did that. The grounds of the end are park-like. There's picnic areas, there's benches where guests can just sit and relax. An interesting feature of the steps leading to the front door as we left down the yard area, I mean, these steps were once tombstones that were never used. Paula and I decided to visit a bench area and got the feeling that we were being followed. We both kept looking over our shoulders, but no one was there. As Paula and I sat down on the bench area, we started to see our breath in the cold air. Granted that Placerville cools down in October, but it wasn't cold enough for us to be able to see our breath. And the, the thermometer uh, that we started out with, which we didn't have with us, said it was 55 degrees. As we did not have a thermometer with us, we couldn't tell just how cold the air had gotten. But this is the only place that we saw our breath that night. We then started our EVP session. Let me go back. It never fails that anywhere we go, any investigation we do, Paula's name will get called out by something. It's always on an EVP or she hears a whisper in her ear. Paula's a, sense of, Paula, Paula's a medium. You know, no matter where we go, this happens. So here it is, here it's happening again. Yeah, I'll do it one more time. Every time. So then we got a second AVP. I don't know what it says. Almost sounds like you're killing me. Okay. 
Yeah. So are they killing me? I don't know what they're doing. So yeah, it almost sounds like they say they're calling me or they're killing me. That's the one. Yeah, they're killing me. Okay. Inside the main house, we got together in the parlor in the main building and decided to do some ITC work. ITC is an umbrella term which refers to all forms of spirit communication using any kind of electric device. In our case, we like to use a black lime pan filled with water. One investigator agitates the water with one finger while another one takes a flash photo. Another investigator then shines a flashlight on the pan. In most cases, you do this in the dark, but it can be done with lights on, as you can see, Paul is taking photos. Julie is agitating the pot. Maurice is holding the flashlight. What happens is the investigator who stirs the pot then asks questions just like you do in an EVP session. And if you're lucky, you might see a face or some object appear in the water. And this is what happened. Now, the thing to remember is you're taking multiple pictures during the session. I mean, if you do a five-minute session, you might get 50, 60, 70 pictures. So now you've got this pot that, that has that has swirls all over it. You have to like you have to come home to your Photoshop work, focus in on that. I go up one hundred percent, then I'll go in increments to see how close I can get. And then what happened? The other thing is that if you don't find something that matters, because usually what I do is I'll I'll imagine a grid on it, and then I'll go spot by spot of the round thing. So then I will turn it spot by spot, and it's very arduous and long to do. But if you get lucky, you will pick up faces. We did a residential up in Placerville one time where we actually picked up the face of somebody's grandfather. You could, I mean, you can literally see his face. So it was, it was very interesting. So here's what we got. There's the first one. You can see a face right in here. And you can see how small these photos are. That's the other thing. You're looking for real tiny things. Look, look at the investigator's knuckle. And then look at the size of this face. All right, we'll look at the next one. Here's a woman's face. You can see her eyes. Her eyes are there. Her nose is here. Her mouth is here. And her cheeks are here. And it almost looks like there's another face right behind her right here. And maybe one over here that we can't see because of the bubbles. But that's a woman's face. Now, when we went through, I'm not going to mention names because there's still like relatives in Plasterville for these people. This looked like one of the people in the photos from past residents that are no longer with us. Here's another one right here. And again, look at the size, look at the size of the investigator's knuckle and look at this right here. That's how small they are. That's why you have to be really careful. They have to be really clear before you enlarge. Here's the last one we got. Don't know who this is. Don't know what this is. Kind of spooky. But it's there. You can see his eye. Got his chin here. It comes all the way back here.
And that's what we got at that inn. And she's very open. She's very open about her ghost. In fact, she just bought the Albert Shasky house, which is reportedly haunted. We've investigated there as well. So uh, you want to pop in and knock on her door and ask her about her ghost. She's, like I said, she's very open about it. Another place we like to go to is the Murphy's Hotel. We've been here two or three or four times even. Um, it's up, it's, it's the other end of Highway 49 in a town called Murphy's. Um, the Sperry Perry Hotel built in 1856 sat on the spot where the current Murphy's Hotel now rests. The hotel was damaged by fire in 1859, but reopened in 1860. Guests at the hotel included Ulysses S. Grant, Mark Twain, and John Jacob Astor, and Black Bart. In 1882, the hotel was renamed as the Mitchell Hotel and then became the Murphy's Hotel in 1945. In 1978, it became a registered California landmark. Now notice the names, John Jacob Astor. Okay, he was on the Titanic. And if you go upstairs where the historical part appears where the historical rooms are, not only did Ulysses Grant stay here, but John Jacob Astor and a few others that were on the Titanic when it sank stay there as well. So that makes you wonder about, you know, even though it's cool that they stay there, it's kind of like, okay, you know. Drapes of the Mark Twain ballroom closed by themselves. Employees report opening them for events and coming back and finding them closed. Hotel guests report hearing a woman crying in room 16. The story is that she was waiting for her love to return from the mines and he never did. Eleanor, as she's known as, has been seen floating in the dining room and exiting to go towards the window on the first floor. She has been linked to the smell of rose water and smoke. She died in the fire at the hotel. In room 19, guests have seen the apparition of a grizzled man who allegedly, who allegedly died of pneumonia. Okay. The Mark Twain ballroom was used during the Civil War to house soldiers during the night. Rows of bunk beds were set up in the room. Doorknobs turned by themselves, phantom footsteps are heard frequently. Guests and employees have witnessed phantom card games in guest rooms, and there are also reports of two mischievous little boys in a sobbing chambermaid. There's also a stomping gold miner, a shadowy figure with a white broom hat. Laughter is heard at night, plus some people feel their toes being pulled while lying in bed. A gold miner who stomps the floor in front of room nine, sometimes you can even smell him. Doorknobs don't open when a key is used. In the basement, a shadowy figure has been seen. The basement area is also attached to the tunnels that lead across the street. Employees report that mumbled voices can be heard in the evenings. Now, the door thing happened to me. Uh, we were checking in for one of our conferences there, and we had our key. We go to open room nine, and the door wouldn't open no matter how much we tried. Turn the door knob, nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, I said, hey, I, we're cool. We're not going to hurt anything here if you let us in. Boom, door opened right up. Um, also, uh, I was going to say, I don't remember. Anyway, okay. <laughs> as far as that goes. All right, moving on. Now, like I said, we've, we've gone in three or four times here. So this is all jumbled up from various investigations. But we, we on one occasion, we were able to actually set up twice. We were able to do this. Set up our nine channel DVR up in the Mark Twain ballroom. Cameras were in the room 19, 18, 16, 17, presidential suite, Mark Twain ballroom, dining room, lower kitchen, and saloon. Because of the size of the building, we split into three teams and four started in different areas, spending 30 minutes in each room. 
In room 19, EMF levels in the room fluctuated as investigators conducted EVP sessions. Investigators smelled something in the room. One investigator reported that it smelled like the air after a lightning strike or smelled like burnt toast or burnt food. When the group, when group two entered and got settled in, the drapes of the window began moving. An investigator used a fluid thermal imaging camera to see if the window had any leaks, but didn't find any. This investigator also moved the fluid along the walls and you know, the, under the door and stuff to see if there was any air coming in from anywhere there wasn't. 10 minutes later, a cold breeze was felt near the eastern side of the bed. Unknown to the investigators, someone on T1 also felt the cold in that area too. Both times it disappeared as quickly as it had appeared. Now they did do an EVP session in that room and hopefully it comes up next because I'm, yep. Do you like us being here talking to you? Can you flash a light if you like us here? If you can hear that, let's go back. I'll do it again. Do you like us being here talking to you? Can you flash a light if you like us here? Essentially, he says outside, so I don't know if he wanted us outside and you know, get out of the room or if he was referring to something outside. But this is the, I'll do it one more time, and this is the EVP we got out of room 19. Do you like us being here talking to you? Can you flash a light if you like us here? Now, one of the other reports that was happening frequently in room 19 were that around 2, 3 in the morning, uh, the faucets were turned on, by, the faucet would turn, there's not a bathroom in there, but there, there's a sink. So the faucet would turn on by itself. And so uh, we were staying in room, was it, I think we were staying in room 18 uh, during a conference, and we noticed at 2 or 3 a.m. that the pipes start making these, these squishing noises, real loud, real loud squishing. So if you're half asleep in a room, it would sound like water was running. So we pretty much debunked the whole water faucet thing running. So, sorry guys. Now we got our psychic reports. Nancy Matz um, is an excellent psychic, been around for a long time. At this time, she lived in Arizona, never been to the Murphy's Hotel. And what I like to do on investigations is I like to get, even on residentials, I like to get the opinions of two psychics before, you know, when we do this. And generally we do a psychic to do a pre, what I call a pre-read from a different location, a remote read. And Nancy was doing a lot of our remote reads at that point. She'd never been to the hotel. All I told her was that we were going to an old hotel in the gold country. I want to read off what she got because this is what makes things interesting. In front of the house to the right, I saw a brown horse unsettled, appears to be resemble a quarter horse breed. A man standing in front of the hotel with a two-piece uniform, which appears to be gray, could be five to 10 inches tall, First time I thought I could see facial hair, gray in color. Upstairs, I could hear two women. The younger is crying. Brown hair, medium build, definitely younger. Old woman took her to be a mother companion, trying to comfort or talk to the younger woman. Her grieving made me think of losing her man. She is deeply in love. Then, you, then she says, I see a man who shows me he died from a bed disease. Very thin, lost weight because of his illness. I see him downstairs. Also downstairs, entering the front door, going slightly to the right, I see a larger lady, not sure that she was very tall, seems to be commanding people around. I feel she was in the kitchen and managed the house. Okay, so remember, room 19, 
Somebody died of pneumonia. Ruth 16, the crying woman that people hear. Okay. Now, remember this about this lady that's in charge, because that's going to figure into something else too. This is Karen Clark. She's one of she's our lead field psychic. And she would go in either before us or she would go in after we went into a room and check the room out. And she does this on our regular investigations. You know, maybe if we get a report of where, where people see their ghosts, maybe Karen will go in and say, oh, no, no, you're not going to see them there. You're going to see them over there tonight. They're going to be in a different location. So she helps us place our cameras for the investigations. So with the Murphy's Hotel, she would either go in before us or after us, but she would not talk to us about the hotel, nor does she do research ahead of time. I picked up on a male energy about 40 to 50 years old who did not pass over. He stayed at the Murphy's many times during his life. He was diligent and forthright answering all of our questions, but at times slow to go back into neutral. He was adamant he did not want to cross over to the other side, and we informed him that he could do so. His story consisted of losing a loving woman who he is currently searching for. This old miner was a hard worker and honest in real life. He appreciated our love and the group's acknowledgement of his pain. He mostly stays in the room reading and does not bother other spirits or dais. He will make curtains move or do paranormal activity in hopes of getting the living's attention. Room nine. Investigators conducted EVP sessions in this room. No EMF meter spikes, however. All four felt cold at different times and did not tell each other until they had entered the room. A big rule of my team is that if you feel something when you're in a room and you're in a group of people, you don't say anything. You just make note of what time it happened and you continue with the investigation. After we got out of this room, we all walked down the hallway and I mentioned that around 11 o'clock, I felt the hair so cold that the hair stood up on my arms chicken skin, they call it in the islands. And this other, and a couple other people, and, 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 and other investigators that were in the room said, hey, we felt, I felt the same thing. But it happened at blah, blah, blah time. So it seemed like whatever this was went from investigator to investigator to investigator to investigator in the room. Psychic report for room nine. Now remember what Nancy Matt said, about the, care, the woman that was the caretaker. I contacted the only woman who addressed herself as Agnes or Mildred. I could not pick up if either name was first or last. Per Agnes, she conveyed that she had been the main caretaker of the hotel since the early 1900s and that she watches over the hotel, making sure that everything is taken care of and in its place. She also stated that she takes pride in the building and other spirits visiting or haunting. The hotel really intimidated her through the decades. Agnes informed me that her duty is to comfort the living and to create a good experience for all who may visit the hotel. Now, the last time I went to the hotel, usually when we go in, they, 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 they keep reports from the guests of what they've been witnessing. Usually when I go in, there's like a stack of stuff like this that I can put in both my hands to go through and see what people saw. And one of the reports that I got from the staff was kind of funny. Um, my mind always blanks on the guy's name, but, but the blonde British guy that, go, that goes into the restaurants and he yells at people and saying, oh, your food is, you know, and all this and all this. He went to the Murphy's Hotel to do a kitchen thing. And while he was in the kitchen talking with the staff in the kitchen and filming, 
pots and pans started flying at him out of nowhere. So he had a paranormal experience at the hotel. Whoever was in the kitchen listening to him to apparently didn't like his attitude. Was it Agnes? That's a possibility. Okay. Remember, Nancy Mass mentioned the caretaker too. So this Karen getting the same caretaker. Also, the night manager of the hotel told us that one time he was coming back into the hotel and these two men came running down the stairs with their eyes really wide. They, they were taken off at the door and he grabbed them and said, what the heck are you doing here? And they said, well, well, we were just checking out the hotel and, 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 and we saw this woman on the stairs and she disappeared right in front of us. And so I guess Agnes got these guys out of there. She's protecting the hotel. That's what she says she's doing here. So that was an interesting account of, of that. Okay, the Mark Twain Ballroom. This is probably one of the most active places in the hotel. And uh, back here, these doors back here, there's a kitchen behind this wall here. There's the drapes. Like, like, like I said in the main report, the staff will come in here, set the tables, open all the drapes, you know, do all that stuff. And they'll come in, the drapes will be closed. Or they'll close the drapes and come in and the drapes will be open. So it happens both ways. Um, so this goes on all the time. They hear, they hear footsteps and things moving around in that kitchen. All right, so our team goes in. Um, I think the reason why we get such good evidence here is because we've been there multiple times and the ghosts get to know you so they're more comfortable with you. So they're gonna be more open with you. So we tend to get better EVPs and better evidence. Anyway, um, here's how it went in the Mark Wayne Ballroom. This is a report from Becca, EVP session in the kitchen area off the bathroom. Could hear a male voice whispering fire doors. Randy and Henry were discussing the possible causes to spiking, excuse me, spiking on the cell sensor. Rebecca described where Randy is placing the cell sensor for the readings he was getting. After she says, almost the center of the room of the small kitchen are in the ballroom, male, she could hear a male whisper, no. Becca felt very unstable. It was, hard, it was hard for her to stand without wavering, wobbling and swing. She had to actually leave the room. Um, Randy went back to the kitchen area and at the doorway, the cell sensor flashed consistently. Different area from before. He did not get this reading when, when, when we left the kitchen a few minutes before. The beverage cooler had set off the cell sensor before, but now it's not spiking, but the sensor still reading. At that point, the sensor was poor. She says, now the cell sensor is, is, is not responding in that doorway. Then started back up again. Randy's reading is sphere five. The cell sensor kept going off at different locations. They went downstairs afterwards to check out to see if there was any kind of electrical going up through the ceiling to see if it would, it, it would affect that room and couldn't find any. Because they're not just going to say, okay, we got, we got spikes in our meter and that's it as a ghost. They're not going to do that. They're going to go downstairs and check it all out to see what's going through there. They used the thermal imaging camera to see if there was any heat going through from like wires or anything like that. And they couldn't find anything. Team two went in after team one. And Jose started tracking an energy field with a trifield meter. He described it as a ball of energy that moved around the room. He actually could trace its shape, and it was round with a trifield meter that was about maybe five feet off the ground. So um, he came out excitedly and told me this. He says, you know, I was tracking something. There was something moving, moving around the ballroom. Karen, during her walkthrough, reported getting a headache while in the room, and the headache going away when she left the room. It's kind of like similar to what happened to Becca. 
Okay. We'll go up. Okay. Now, we did some EVP sessions. What, um, a couple of these take place during one of our conferences that we put on at the hotel. We all decided to get together, about six of us, and go into the Mark Twain ballroom at midnight and do a seance. So we all sat around a table, put our hands together, you know, just held each other's hands, turned the lights out, and started asking questions. So I think that was the first one to ask the first question. Are you the one that made that noise? So we were hearing noises in the kitchen, shuffling around like somebody walking, somebody moving stuff around, going in to check, no one's there. So that's what prompted me to ask this question. So I get the I get this answer. Are you the one that made that noise? So I, right now, my, my hearing's not good. I can't tell you what it said because I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, maybe you can judge for yourself. Are you the one that made that noise? Oh, there you go. Now I remember this one. Okay, let me go back up. I says, are you the one that made that noise? And the reply is, are you not hearing me? So what's that about? That's a direct answer to my question that this guy thinks that I'm not hearing him or I'm not hearing him in the kitchen. But he says, are you not hearing me? Listen again. Are you the one that made that noise? In the next one, another uh, person from the from the conference was asking questions, and all that was on the tables really were uh, water glasses and just silverware. And we were all, you know, it, we all had our hands clapped, so nobody was moving. But this is what happened. Did you ever work in the mines? We just heard a tap on another's glass. Did you ever work in the mines? We just heard a tap on another's glass. And when I initially heard the noise, it almost sounded like it was right in front of me. But that the sound of it when you were at the table was like somebody, you know, like you know, like when your dad would 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 play the glasses in the morning with a spoon. Only it was more lighter, it was like it was like somebody had taken a knife and just kind of tapped one of the glasses. But that was the sound. Now we have this other one. And as you can hear, it's a completely different voice. He says that's downright, so for people that can't understand it, you might have to put headphones, but he says that's downright insulting. So whatever we said irritated this guy. So let me try it again. So downright insulting. So I don't know what we said. I can't remember what we said, but he was irritated. Now, Karen Clark, our psychic, has a 
unique relationship with the ghosts in this hotel. They like her. And um, she's always getting really good re responses on her EVPs. On one particular night, which I'm not, I don't have that one on here, but she got an EVP. She, um, she says, oh, I love you, John. It was the spirit John that she talks to at the hotel. So she says, I love you, John. And the response is, I love you too. The problem with the response was that it sounded just like her husband. And when I heard it, this is like three in the morning, I woke her up and I said, you know, you better call home, something's going on. He came through. And then she calls, of course, he was all right. But I don't know if it was mimicking her husband or what was going on, but it sounded just like her husband, Michael. But here's the other one that Karen picked up that night. Maybe. Come on. There you go. Let me go back on it. Yeah, right here. I'll do it one more time. Yeah, so he says right here. Now, I went back, the last time we went back, um, there was just about four of us that went. Again, we went to the Mark Twain Ballroom around like midnight. They decided to do another, not seance, but just a, just to sit there and see what would happen, really. Sharon Rowe, uh, a medium Sharon Rowe was with us. And so it was myself, Sharon, Jose, friend of Jose's that went, my mother was there sleeping, my mother's always sleeping. And uh, we were sitting around, at around, you see the tables there around. So I got the idea to turn off all our cell phones and electronic stuff and get the motion detectors and put them like, like five feet behind us around the table to see if we could see anybody coming and going. In the meantime, I shot with a uh, Tony TRV 740 in infrared um, video camera. And uh, this is what happened. If I was able to film it, it would be really, it would be really, whoa, Jose's blurry as heck. I just felt that like chills. Like wow, you're completely out of focus, dude. Yeah, I can feel the energy. He is right there right on the table. Wow. Wow, my head is tingling. My body's He's tingling. He's in Jose right He's now. He's in Jose. Jose Good. You are not allowed, sir, to be in me. In the he name said, of the Father, Son, and the Holy here. Spirit, you are not allowed. Be careful. It's coming through my arm. It is not allowed. He's gone now. Thank you. Do not ever do that again. Wow, that was cool. We caught it all on video. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's strangely. Well, he said you wanted evidence. He just gave you evidence. No kidding. Yes. Wow, that was wild. First, I thought it was because I had crossed the IR lights, but it wasn't. I just felt numb. My whole body was just numb. It was the feeling I've ever gotten. First, I thought it was because I crossed the IR lights, because I was pointing at the IR light, but there's no way. So yeah, so that happened, and um, it's just interesting that it got blurry while 
this was happening to Jose. Let me get back in here real quick. Let me get back in here and into the slideshow. Okay. And uh, this has happened before with that camera. And it was a Pam, a ghost hunter, that startled me. Um, it's happened before with that camera. I have footage from the uh, hotel in McCollumie Hill with a psychic who was sitting in a rocking chair. And as she rocks forward, she's blurry. As she rocks back, she's clear. As she rocks forward, she's blurry. And I make the contact, hey, you're blurry. And she says, yeah, I sat in something and it's right in front of me and I'm rocking forward into it and back. So, you know, you can deny that coverage. You know, I know there'll be people that are going to debunk it. I'm fine with that. But I did not cross IR streams or anything. And it's just, no matter what, the, the, the point is what happened to Jose and him feeling tingly all over, you know, and the fact that, you know, it kind of coincided. So we're just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to argue with anybody. But, it, you know, you could take it, like I said, when I do this stuff, show this stuff, keep an open mind because that's, that's what it's all about. You got to keep an open mind. All right, moving next. That was Jose. Now we're going to the Wounded Opera House, our last stop for the night. Built in 1885, the Opera House was home to many performers before fire destroyed along, along <laughs> with many main street buildings. The fire also took the life of Woodland volunteer firefighter W.M. Porter. The Opera House was soon rebuilt on the same site, utilizing foundations and bricks from the original building. It was reopened in 1886 and until 1913, it played host to performers such as the John Philip Sousa Band, Polish actress Madame Helen Maczewska, and the Georgian Cohen Group. In 1913, the building was boarded up due to a lawsuit and partially because of the advent of movies. In 1971, the Yolo County Historical Society purchased the building, and in 76, it was designated a California State Historical Landmark. The Yolo County Historical Museum then gave the property to the state in 1980. In 1981, restoration began. And in January 1989, it was reopened following a $2 million renovation. It just got renovated again, I think within the last three or four years. We haven't had a chance to get back in there. It's expensive uh, now because they, they, have, they, they changed managers, so they have a board of directors. You have to have a lot of insurance to take a team in there. This is one of those iffy places. But they do do tours. They, they do tours of the building. So if you want to go in and get a feel for a haunted location, you can go visit this building. They'll take you on a tour. You might be able to squeeze in some, you know, some photos and catch something. You might get lucky. But I'm just saying is that if you're going to go do any kind of ghost hunting, you got to have insurance and stuff to be in there. You can't really blame them because if you get injured on the property, you know. Um, we've been here three or four times, maybe five lost track. But since its reopening, employees, personnel, and patrons alike have reported strange activities such as the piano moving from one side of the stage to another. Uh, thread from costumes found unthreaded after seamstresses returned from lunch. There have also been reports of the smell of cigar smoke on the balcony, the feeling of a presence on the second story foyer and backstage. The apparition of a man in period clothing has been seen sitting in stage right to so the stage left of the second chair. A ladder moves across the stage. Some guests also feel vertical on the second balcony. Settings on the soundboard get reset by unseen hands and giant stage lights seem to turn it on and off by themselves. The house lights also are known to flicker on and off. 
and the elevator will operate on its own, its doors opening as if someone is either boarding or disembarking. The employees get unnerved by this because the desk for the lobby of the opera house is directly across from the elevator, which is off to their left. And so whole day long, this elevator will open and close by itself. Okay, I'm starting this stuff again. Okay. You know, a strong presence is found on the stairs going up to the second level. It's said by psychics that have been that have gone up that way that there's like a stage manager type of person that hangs out on that stairway and he scowls. He scowls at people who he doesn't particularly like the look of or like, you know, like what they're doing. Ghost hunters, especially. I'll tell you what happened with my team when the time comes. Footsteps can be heard backstage and in the basement area. William Porter was killed, before we get into this, the, the, the uh, firefighter was killed when he was trying to see if there was anybody in there um, during the fire, he got locked in. And as he was trying to find a way out, a wall collapsed on him, crushing him from the head, from the head down, and he passed away and, and ended up, he was, he was up higher in the opera house, but it collapsed, the floor collapsed as well. So he ended up in, in the basement area of the opera house and passed away. Um, the team has visited this location three times, the first while filming another team for public access TV show called California Haunts. Each time, the evidence gallery has been very interesting. On the third trip, we were able to use our nine-channel DVR and we set cameras, and we set up our cameras, three cameras up in the main auditorium, one on the stage, one backstage, one in the basement, and two in the second floor mezzanine, one which was aimed at the stairwell and one point at the elevator. We then broke up into two teams, of three and started at separate ends of the building. Note, all investigations were conducted during the day. I think we've only done one investigation there at night. And that's the, that's the only one. Um, on one occasion, we also had one of the Sacramento newspapers with us and I can't remember which one it was. Whoops. Okay. So as, this, as we all started out, I'm a photographer again. So I decided to stand on the stage and take pictures looking out, you know, in, in, in the auditorium. Well, as I started snapping pictures, I noticed down in here, and I don't know if you can see that clearly enough yet, there's a green mist right here. And the interesting thing about this green mist is that there's another picture taken by another investigator friend of mine. Uh, we were coming into the opera house from this side over here. And she had, you know, she had the desire to take a picture. She took a picture. Later on that night, she caught an apparition, a full body apparition, walking down this aisle right where this green mist is. So that's kind of interesting trivia to go, to go, with, this, to go with this thing. Now, this is the first picture. Ghost hunters take pictures in sequence. So we take pictures in, in threes, fours, fives. You know, we just keep taking pictures to make sure we get the, if there's any evidence on there, you, you can tell it's not fake or anything like that. So this is in a sequence of five photos. I'm going to show you three of those photos. These are in order. So here, like I said, here's the mist right here down on the, on the bottom part of the screen. Next photo. Here's the mist getting larger. It's all this, it's near the seats right there. And now it's over here at this end. So it's literally moving you know, across the seats in the opera house that I caught. This next photo was caught in the seats at the opera house. Notice the colors on these things. Now, I don't, you know, my team were very meticulous about the stuff we put out. 
this could have been a bug. I don't think it's a bug. It doesn't look like a bug to me. In fact, it looks like individual things. There's one here, one here, and one here put together. And this is pitch black. This is There's no light here. Okay, I'm only throwing the flash from my camera. So it's way out, it's way, you can, see where, you can see where this is here, how far out this thing is. But if you notice the color, this is kind of red, okay? And this is kind of green on the end, you may not see that good here, but this is red and this is green. This is gonna figure prominently in something that happens later on in the day when we're there. Here's something else I caught with my camera up in this corner. There's a light here, it could be glare off something, but uh, I just thought it was rather interesting. Again, we went with a newspaper in tow with us at one time at the Opera House, set up our headquarters up on the second tier. I'm sitting over here in the corner. This is the command center. I want you to focus on this spot right here. Jose came in, started taking photos of, of, of the Opera House from this angle, okay? Now watch this area right here with the next photo. All right, it's unfortunate that for some reason this cuts it off, but you're going to see what's over there, okay? There's a reason why I circled it. Again, here's that spot, close up. There's no one there, all right? Now here's the next shot. See the little kid? All I did to this was I highlighted right here so you can see the figure better. But we picked up an apparition of a little kid up there. Let me do this. Before, after. These shots are in sequence. Before, after. So Jose caught this little girl or this little kid. The stairway. Now remember we talked about this stairway before that the psychics that have been on staff feel that there's a very strong male presence on this stairway that looks out for people. And, you know, sometimes he doesn't like the people on the stairway. He doesn't like paranormal investigators, that's for sure. Um, at least the people I have, because a couple of my people got pushed backwards on this stairway. And I know when I tried to go up, when I was with the other team, I would get so breathless going up these stairs like something was trying to hold me back and I was fighting my way up there. Um, so, what this is, is I'm not an orb person. I, I, do, I just don't believe in orbs. I think they're bugs, yada, yada, yada. And the only reason why this is there is because I've only allowed two orbs in photos since I've been, since, since I've been running this team. And one was at the El Pashafsky house where people would all constantly see the apparition of a man walking through this area in the hallway and this orb in motion showed up. You know, in my opinion, if you see this guy walking through the hallway all the time, you got multiple witnesses and you get an orb in motion in there, chances are it might be related to the paranormal activity. Same thing with this. Paranormal investigator took a photo of Tammy going up the stairs and she picked this up. I know there's a light there. Okay, I get that. It could be a reflection, yada, yada, yada. But to me, because all this action was going on here where my investigators were getting pushed back, to me, that you know, with this thing in motion, this could be related to what's going on with the investigators. Also, on the first investigation we did there, one of the psychics from the other team was going up the stairs. And of course, I was filming for the TV show. So I turned on my video cameras. She turned around to look at me in a real deep voice. She says, no photographs. And I stopped and I thought, 
but she knows I'm filming. Why is she telling me not to film? That was the whole point of coming. The other psychic that was on the team comes up behind me and says, oh, by the way, that's not so-and-so. And then it hit me. She was channeling this man. And this man was saying, no photographs. And it makes sense because if he was from the early 1900s or the late 1800s, early 1900s, he wouldn't know it's a video camera. He would think it's a regular camera, which is why he said, no photographs. So that's what I mean when, when I see this orb, this thing in motion, with all the things that are going on in the stairway, I'm inclined to think it's related to the activity on the stairway. Now we're on the balcony mezzanine. Sabrina, who was on the other team and was on my team, was an excellent psychic. Um, she was up there and uh, she started channeling this woman who was a opera singer, actress, Polish, Madame Maciejska. Madame Maciejska not only haunts the Woman Opera House, she haunts a lot of the opera houses around Northern California. She's very famous for haunting them. She's even been seen as a Sacramento Theater Company. Anyway, Sabrina starts channeling her. They got her a shawl to put her around her, her shoulders to kind of bring Maciejska in. And as Sabrina's channeling Maciejska, Sabrina says, oh, she's right in front of me. Take a picture, take a picture, take a picture. So as you can see in this photo, I took the picture and there's white splotches in front of Sabrina where she told me to snap the picture. So is that Madame Maciejska? Who knows, but there's white splotches in front of Sabrina. The other thing that happened while we were doing this session, and I had, uh, there were about six witnesses to this, is as we were standing there and we heard something drop, and, drop on the floor and roll away. And so we start looking to see what it was. And as it turned out, it was, it was a single pearl had dropped on the floor out of nowhere and just rolled across the floor. Don't know where it came from, don't know why, but there it was. So maybe she was giving us a gift, giving us a message that it was her. I don't know, I'm just saying this thing dropped. I don't like heights. I got up in the catwalk to take a photo and I got this photo. If you can tell, it's similar to that one that I captured down in the seats. Is it a bug? Is it a paranormal? I don't know. Who knows? But what I can tell you, because of the colors in it, let me get it back up. I was doing an EVP dousing rod session with another investigator. Um, and at that time, not only were we filming, but they were having a documentary filmed by a college crew. And they were way across the opera house with their cameras. We were sitting on, on the second floor, you know, in the seats. Stage, uh, stage right, and we were doing our session. And all of a sudden you hear him, you hear one of those guys call out and say, hey, there's two red and green orbs flying around you guys. And that's the other side the psychic says, well, yes, that's what color they are, they're red and green. So these things I'm catching that are red and green, could they be the orbs that even the other crew caught? I don't know, don't know. So we go down in the basement, we're all down there. You can see the other film crews right there. Sabrina's down there. This is pitch blue. This is the dark down there. You see there's dressing stuff down there. Now, as you come down the stairs on the right side, there's a, there, there's a uh, picture of William Porter, the fireman that died. That's because that's the spot where he passed away. Okay. Um, psychics feel him all the time there. 
Plus, a lot of a lot of people that go down there, especially if they're they're sensitive to stuff, they feel like a crushing sensation on their head and neck when they get down there. They can feel that, you know, as if as if they're being crushed from above. It's it's interesting to hear, especially someone that that goes down there that's not familiar with the opera house, you know, to hear them get that reaction. This is Sabrina. Um, she was doing, you know, she was apparently describing what what she was seeing to us. And uh, the, I guess the manager of the, of the stage liked her and she, um, he liked her skin coloring and he kept commenting on her skin coloring. And then all of a sudden she says, you know, they're all down here, they're all down here. And we said, well, who's down here? The, the, the people, the people that work here, they're all down here, they're all down here. And as she's looking down, she keeps pointing at her feet right in front of her area. So I decided to take a photo. So if you look down at the bottom of this photo, you can see this stream right here, which is right where she's looking. And I believe it's an ethereal stream that was going by, or the ethereal stream of what she was looking at. That's what I believe anyway. Like I said, I have an open mind with this stuff. Now, again, we've been to the Women Opera House several times. We've, excuse me, we'd like to get back in there at some point, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how that works out. But you can visit this place. It's cool. The people are open. One of the things that happened while we were there is, I guess we got the energy going so much that uh, they had to call the fire department because the batteries of the fire alarms drained. And that happened twice when we were there. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. This is, this is the evidence, you know, I brought forward to show you guys. Uh, I'm glad I got to do this. I'm glad we got to close our Halloween stuff out this, this month, this way, this year. And I hope you enjoyed it. And um, let me close out here. That's going to be the end of my little spiel. Oh, wrong button. Whoops, sorry, guys. Oh, lost you again. This is not my day. Not my day for computer buttons. At least you're still there. <laughs> let me get zoom back up here. Okay. Okay, I'm back. I'm back, sports fans. Try to get... Anyway, I'm glad you guys got to join us. I'm trying to find where you guys are, where I'm at. Meeting controls, hang on. I don't know where I'm at. I may not be able to get out. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming today. Um, I'll have to edit all this out. It's going to be fun editing. But uh, I hope you got something out of this. And I know you have to, like I said, you have to approach this with an open mind because not everybody's going to agree on the evidence that we got, unfortunately. But that's just the way I'm going to stop sharing and come in. Okay. Finally, I found the right button. You know, not everybody's going to agree with the evidence that we have, and that's that's just the name, of, just the name of it all. You know, we know what we got, and that's that's what's important to us. You know, and uh, hopefully, you got to hear and see stuff. Look at my double chin. I'm very big. Hopefully, you got to hear and see stuff that you've never seen before, or you know, you enjoy some of these EVPs and stuff. Because we don't go public a lot with our evidence. It's not something we do. We just like to keep it to ourselves or on our website. But again, you can visit us at www.californiahaunts.org. Uh, the radio site is www.californiahauntsradio.com. And uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it anyway. Share it with your enemies. It's all good. We're all happy here. Um, all this comes out of my pocket. We're a nonprofit, and we're not <laughs> we're what they call a poor group, unfortunately. And uh, so I have to like, you know, I have to pay for my internet costs and all that good stuff. So I'd really appreciate it if maybe you could find it in your heart to donate a little bit to us. It doesn't have to be much at uh, 
paypal.me at california haunts to keep this show going uh because i i really enjoy doing the show and bringing stuff to and bringing my and bringing the different guests to you and you know informing you and all that good stuff also there's an issue with youtube in that we need over 100 uh, subscribers in order for people to find us because we don't have a dedicated url so if you could find it in your heart to go over to, to well if you try to search for us you're not going to find us no matter how much you try so the easiest way to do that is to go to the website at www.californiahauntsradio.com and um, click on the video that's on it. It'll take you to YouTube and you can subscribe from there because as soon as we get 100 plus people, we're going to be able to get our dedicated URL. And you can also see a bunch of our shows, but you can do that on our website as well. Anyway, I want to thank you all. Monday, we're back on schedule. We're going to be doing four shows a week. And we're going to have Christy Robin is going to start the month out for us to talk about nightmares. So again, I want to thank you guys for coming, and I will see you next week, usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night.